0: Etc., etc., with young Southpaw. That's moi. Me, if you ain't got your French tongue on. We're at episode 16 already, man. I mean, my how time flies when you're having toast, as our guest today may say. It's my pleasure to tell you we've got Mr. Martin Atkins on the show. From Pig Face, P-I-L, other bands that don't start with the letters P-I, you know, Brian Brain, Damage Manual, Killing Joke. Woo! The list goes on. He's putting together a book about his time with Pill, and he's been doing live talks about it. And Last year, we were trying to set up a show together somewhere, but schedules were pretty busy, man. So I'm psyched we finally got a chance to, you know, sit down and at least talk about this stuff on this episode. Guy's got a ton going on. And he's been doing these pill talks via Zoom these days, completely free, and they're really excellent. Lots of great details, just awesome stories. So, so let's get to it. All right. We're here today with Mr. Martin Atkins. How you doing today, Martin?
1: I'm okay. I'm frightened by your energy level.
0: You want me to take it down a notch?
1: No, it's fine. Do whatever you want to do.
0: I might take it up a notch.
1: Now, get the
0: fuck out of bed. It's probably the most useful advice ever. Tell me about how that came to you.
1: So, uh, you know, I'm an educator. I've been teaching for 17 years. And, <clears throat> but I'm also the father of four boys. Oh, wow. And after several years of going into my kids' bedrooms, going, come on, TikTok motherfuckers. Um, here we go, it really is time to get, I'm like, okay, that's not working, so <clears throat> I put a slide, you know, I, I speak all over the world about, like, music business and entrepreneurship or whatever, and um, I put this slide in my presentation, it was uh, like a, a keep calm and carry on, right, you know, that that vibe, but it just says, get the fuck out of bed, so I'm like, okay, now what's my justification? Well if I get up at 5am and my arch rival the singer in a band ironically called the arch rivals gets up at 10 I am now 5 hours ahead well, that's not much but at the end of a week I'm 35 hours ahead at the end of a year I am 73 full days of work ahead of my arch rival that's why you should get the fuck out of bed so then but well, it was pretty good for my talks you know as a kind of a fun little riff. Um <clears throat> but then I could go into my kids' bedroom and uh, put up a poster because we have posters made and then say, Look, this isn't me, your dad, lame dad, telling you to get out of bed. This is actually part of one of the lectures I gave at South by Southwest and to an educational group of twelve hundred people in Norway recently, get the work out of bed. Um, I'd st- I don't think it made any difference then either. But then, you know, I've been saying that every morning, tweeting it for 10 years, 10 years this year. And um, about two years ago, somebody said, well, this should be a coffee. And I met the people from Dark Matter Coffee. Um, and it was a really interesting meeting. It was the first time I'd been to a meeting with a company empty-handed because I thought we were just going to taste some coffee. and So I sit down and I'm like, oh, yeah, here's some coffee. Here's a beer we did with Three Floyds Brewing and the band Mastodon. Here's a seven-inch vinyl single we did with Derek Carter. Here's a cassette tape we put out. We're working on an effects pedal with somebody from Metallica. I'm like, what the fuck? I really, um, uh, really wanted to do something with them. They're here in Chicago. And uh, so we did, we did get the fuck out of bed coffee and um, it's been really good. You know, it's been really good.
0: That's like magical that it came together into a a physical
1: form. Coffee. Yeah. Well, so yeah, it's, and it's, it's been really, uh, it's been really interesting. So I've done a lot. I've been in a lot of bands. I have a Grammy, blah, blah, blah. But when you've got your own brand of coffee, people like, Oh, and I'm like, yeah i'm like what, what do you mean oh not about the grammy or anything i've done but i've got i've got my name on a bag of beans and suddenly i've got credibility yeah.
0: now uh, your kids they aren't fans of this band the arch rivals are they
1: <laughs> um <laughs> i don't think they're fans of anything two, two of them, my my two oldest boys have come out to do merchandise with my band pig face i don't know if that means they're fans of the band or they're just out there slinging merch. No, I don't
0: know. I want to ask you about Pig Face, because you were born
1: in the year of the
0: pig. Was I? Yeah, 1959, okay. right? And then last year was also the year of the pig, which saw Pig Face touring again, and November's the month of the pig when you were doing shows. So how much Chinese astrology was involved in all this?
1: Well, shit. I wish you called me six months ago, because... We could have done a couple of t-shirt. It's the year of the pig. Look out. Oink, oink. I mean, holy crap. I was born in the year of the pig. And now I didn't know any of that. So what what do you have to wait another 30 years for it to come around again? 12. Oh, okay. Well, I might make it. Yeah. Yeah, We'll We'll
0: talk then. (laughs) But this year is the year of the rat. And uh I was I I loved your talk the other night, uh the flowers and romance one. And I lived in Boston for quite a while where the club the rat was, and you had a great story about that. I was hoping you could share that with us now.
1: So um there was a few things going on. Punk was crazy uh at the end of the seventies and the beginning of the eighties. I mean, it's mind boggling to me now to think about it, you know. So there I am, 1979, I'm in a band with Johnny Rotten. Um, we toured the States, we did American Bandstand, craziness. Um, at the end of that tour, uh, I was actually fired for the first time of two times. I left eventually, but I was fired twice. But, um, so we came over to the US with my band, Brian Brain, which is a three-piece band. And just to give you an idea of what we were about, our rider was four cases of Heineken liter of vodka liter of brandy liter of whiskey and a bunch of other stuff for three Who
0: knows? people
1: three people yeah <laughs> and uh, so uh, and it was it was crazy sid vicious was still alive you know the sex pistols had only been broken up for a year i mean you know it's still a crazy time and uh, bauhaus u2 they're all staying at the same houses that we're staying as we go across the states Uh, I was bottled in the face in Washington, D.C. at the 9.30 Club, 16 stitches, eight subcutaneously. I was in hospital in New Orleans because my stitches became infected. I had alcohol poisoning in San Francisco at the Mabuhay Gardens, spent the night at San Francisco General. And so then we played Boston. It was the end of the tour. We had one night off before flying back to the U.K. And back then we were drinking I mean, we were drinking anything really, but we were on a kind of a white Russian kick. And um, so we were hanging out with these girls and we went out for drinks before we were to go and get the plane the next day. We went to the Ratzkeller and we just wanted a quiet drink, which sounds ridiculous. After everything I just told you, hospital here, hospital there, stitches, we were just looking for a quiet time. Um, But... Uh we go to the Ratskeller, we start drinking, and this band starts up, fuck you, fuck your mother, I'm going to fuck your sister, a fuck, fuck, fuck with the fuck, fuck. And I'm just like, okay, next song, fuck with the fuck, fuck with the... I'm like, okay. Pete Jones, the bass player, says to me, I'll buy you a white Russian if you'll fucking take care of this guy. And uh, this is where you see the beginning of my, entrepreneur- my entrepreneurial skills because I say to Pete, make it two. And um, so he buys me two White Russians, and then uh, I get up on stage. I threw the singer uh, onto the dance floor. I unplugged the guitar. I knocked over three microphones. unplugged the bass, knocked over some cymbals, and then pick up a monitor and throw a monitor onto the singer who's lying on the dance floor. And at that point, I realized I'd gone too far. And so I stand there waiting for the band to jump on my back and the audience to attack me from the front, which I think would have been acceptable. I'd overstepped the the limits. Nothing happened. People are just applauding. People start sending me white Russians over to the table. You know, I'm like, holy crap. Two hours later, I'm having a piss in the bathroom. And while I'm pissing, somebody comes in, smashes me in the back of the head, breaks my nose into the wall, knocks me unconscious. As I fall back onto the floor, kicks me in the face and breaks my jaw. And that was Gigi Allen. And you know what? I felt like I like went down and jumped right back up, ran out. But there was hardly anybody in the club when I ran. I think I'd been unconscious on the floor for 20 minutes. Yeah, that's my Gigi Allen story. So,
0: you've lost a lot of blood in this rock and roll game.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, I I still, you know, when I play with Pig Face, I have a mirror ball that kind of wanders around here by where my cymbals are suspended from a frame above the kit. I'm always just p- punching it. Um, I kind of, I'm not really sure why, because I need my hands um but uh it kind of clears the mind you know it's just suddenly all of the outside world fades away and it's just pain and blood um and um but it also turns out that uh, you know we sell we auction my shirts each night for charity and the ones that are covered in blood sell for more so what are you going to do there you go ah. now you mentioned pill playing
0: on dick clark's american Bandstand. and I, i've seen the youtube clips of this and it's just still so bizarre something like that would happen like this mainstream music show in america going on, and playing pop tones and careering did you have a sense of how odd it was at the time
1: no um i mean there are people who say oh pill disassembled the construct of american culture through american bandstand and challenged dick clark as the icon. yeah we had no fucking clue what it was um i mean the most impressive thing to me was that the the uh, the sitcom soap was filmed in the lot across the, the street i was like oh my god um dick clark came into the dressing room you know held his hand out I'm like, who the who the fuck are you you know and Honestly, it was like his hand had been burnt by a hot stove. Um, We didn't know who he was. We didn't know what American Bandstand was. And um, I mean, I think anybody who hasn't seen it should go to YouTube and and watch that clip. Um, What happened was those songs in their original form were quite long. So Warner Brothers had somebody chop those songs down to a four and a half minute length rather than seven and eight minutes and uh, so that was fine for me because i was we were all miming anyway but so whatever but john didn't know where the vocals were going to come in so he just ran around um <laughs> he ran around the studio trying to cover himself with audience members and but the fantastic camera crew right it was a like, camera two. get the camera three zoom in follow him underneath And it was you know and um dick clark hated it hated it hated it hated it um except everyone around him said it's time this was an iconic moment you should let it go and it was it was on the best of american bandstand every it's been on every year since well they stopped doing it now but Uh, my mom and dad used to call me from England it was on you're on the best of again I'm like okay yeah
0: because I mean as much as I I love pop tones I think it's just such a wonderfully unique song I've never heard it in a club I've never even thought of dancing to it and yet there's all these audience members dragged on stage just moving around it's so
1: weird in hot pants in like 70s disco outfits yeah just fantastic I mean at the end of Whichever the second song was, I'm not sure which one we did first. I mean, I just started playing the bass and Joe Wobble. I just gave him the drumsticks and I, I'm playing the bass because it was just like, this is hilarious. Yeah.
0: So you're working on a book about this time in pill called Memories, which is the perfect title
1: for such a book. How's that coming along? Um, it's, it's, it's been a long journey. I think that I could have written it. I'm pleased I didn't write it 12 years ago because I think I would have been in a mindset of like, well, I just read that John said this and that's not the case. I, this is what happened. And he's got the dates wrong. I played the tambourine on the, you know, and now I just don't give a fuck. And, um, uh, I've been, uh, I started to do events around the world, Manchester, Tokyo, London, uh, New York, LA it sounds like a song. um, um <laughs> pop music yeah pop music I, I played on a song with him by the way but anyway Um uh, who likes jazz his absolutely huge failure after pop music but um, uh, so I was I was doing events and so when I did the event in Atlanta you know I had my a two hour presentation Um but then people were like oh I've got this tour pass have you seen these photographs you know and so It started to grow and then um, we were fully funded through a a company called Pledge Music um, Mm. where people pledge you get funded and then you get the money to make the book and Pledge went bankrupt and fucked everybody. Mm. Um, So then um, I started to do some more events, accumulating more material and then the pandemic hit so um, I've tried to do One event a week. I'm doing one tomorrow about our trip to Australia, where the head of Virgin Records at the time, who still lives in Australia, is going to call in. Larry White, who tour managed us and was uh, managed the band, but tour managed us when we were on American Bandstand for Warner Brothers, he's going to be in on the call. So I'm accumulating more stories and opinions and bits and pieces. So it's going to be a coffee table book when it's done. Um, it's taking a bit longer than I thought though. Well, sounds great though. And your other, sir? It's been really great to connect with people. Um, I was talking with Betsy Sherman, uh, who I met in 1980. And, um, she was on the call on Wednesday night. We did one. So to connect with people from 40 years ago, it's just kind of awesome. It's also very strange to look back at periods in your life, right, um, that are so richly documented, right? So there are set lists from a show in 1980. There are reviews of a show. There are people's photographs. There's my diaries. There's there's, um, the documentary footage of American Bandstand. I mean, so it's kind of strange to piece this, story together from all these sources you know Mm. but it's great but i and i look at my kids um harrison's 23 ian's 25 uh ian's older than me when i left pill you know Mm. and it's like it's it's strange it's strange
0: now your other books tour smart and band smart are great particularly with Being in a band and touring aren't particularly intelligent things to do the way most people do them. What was the impetus behind those? Well,
1: um, you know, uh, so I started teaching by accident 17 years ago. Uh, You know, I have a a label here. Uh, We've released 350 albums since 1988. And I started to put together package tours, like Pig Face with... Test Department, Sheep on Drugs, you know, another opening band, two buses, 20,000 promotional CDs, 80,000 postcards. We were really doing an amazing job of producing these tours. And I heard about the idea of interns. And so I went to Columbia College, Chicago, which is a few miles up the street uh, here in Chicago. And I did a presentation to their faculty. To get some interns and uh after my presentation they're like fantastic when can you start and i and i actually said i can if you've got some interns now i can take them to the office with me now and they're like no when could you start teaching and i'm like teaching what like what are you talking about and they're like you should be teaching the business of touring live entertainment i'm like what, what? and um so Uh, I definitely had a voice outside of my head saying uh, the craziest fucking thing you could do Martin is to do this, you know, and what a interesting responsible move as a parent of two at the time for now. And, uh, and I thought it was just like an interesting side hustle on my resume, except I fucking love teaching. And and that wasn't the move. The, the, the move was that there wasn't a textbook. So over the course of that first semester, I started to put all these ideas and exercises together and calling on friends to contribute. And that became my first book. And I thought that was the opportunity. But it wasn't. Once that book came out, people started to ask me to speak. I've spoken at the last 13 South by Southwest. Um, I've been to Norway five times South America Germany all over Europe and um, uh, Brazil Uh, so that was an interesting pivot for me because I'm very shy weirdly Um, so it's one thing to be on stage behind a drum kit but to be on stage talking um, was interesting so um, yeah that was really uh really cool and unexpected for me yeah
0: yeah wow the one of the big takeaways i I took from those is the uh the line down pretty much the middle of america the touring line and that to the east there's all cities that are about four hours apart makes sense to tour those west they're really far apart and doesn't make much sense
1: of the top of the largest 100 cities in america by population only 16 of them are west of a line from minneapolis down to San Antonio. But west of that line, it's, that's, a that's the, that's the two-day drives between shows. That's the where you're going to chew up all your money in gas. You're going to start driving faster, so you'll burn more gas. Your miles per gallon will go down. Uh, you, that's where everything goes wrong. If you stay east of that line, you can arrive early. You can stay late. You can meet people. It's what it's all about. Um, you can fix your equipment, you can shower, um, you know, and, and do all of the other things around a show that make it possible for you to return the next time. Mm. Um, and, and I mean, I showed that map to a guy called Todd Rundgren, um, and he fucking cried. He cried. <laughs> he just, I mean, we were at dinner. His manager used to manage Johnny Rotten, and um, we just ended up having dinner. For, I don't know. I was out in L.A. And I showed him the map and he, his wife was, he just started crying. He's like, fuck. And, and it's just the point of that is just to look before you jump in a vehicle and go wherever you go, you know, before you, whether you go to the east or the west of that line, what if your fans aren't even in North America? <laughs> what if all of your fans are in Japan or Belgium? You know, just, it's just preaching a more considered uh, way of doing this i'm not saying don't be fucking crazy i mean i'm saying be crazy on stage where it counts with a five neck guitar and be gua be fucking insane don't blow all of the the margins you have on m- miles per gallon of bullshit because you didn't bother to do any planning at all
0: why did you start to figure all that out
1: over the course of your career um I, I remember when, because uh, it's weird when you, so I teach music business. So people are like, oh, they just think it's me in a spreadsheet. It's like, hold on. There's me on stage with 30 people, eight drummers, one of them is Danny Carey, you know, three bass players of note, you know, I mean, I get to do that crazy stuff because I understand what I'm doing, you know. Don't put me into some kind of business pigeonhole my business acumen enables me to blow all of that and have eight drum kits on stage but um i was on stage with uh, i was part of and managing killing joke uh and we were in a club in texas and um one of my favorite things when i'm drumming is to have excessive amounts of monitors for my drums so when i hit the bass drum it's like i'm getting punched in the kidneys and then when, it, when it's coming out of the house, poof, you know, people are getting punched in the stomach 50 rows back. And so we're on stage for sound check, and I'm like, hitting my bass drum. I'm like, hey, monitor guy, uh, turn on the monitors. I want to hear my bass drum. And he's like, it's on. I'm like, what? Uh, so not only am I not going to have a good time, but it's dangerous for me if I can't hear my drums, I'll just keep playing louder and louder. Mm. And and I could blow my knee out, you know? Um, So, so then I'm like, okay, house guy, turn on the house system. At least I'll be able to hear boo-boo in the empty room. I'll get that reverb slap back. And he says, it's on. I'm like, what the fuck? So it's obvious to me, most of the shows we're playing, it's a $12 ticket. This show is a $20 ticket. So the promoter has done their crazy promoter math of like, it's going to be 400 people here. If I charge $12, that's however much that is, 4,200. If I charge 20, it's eight grand. I'll double my money. But he didn't double his money. He less than halved his audience. So instead of selling 400 tickets, he sold like 160. So the next, The only thing he can do at that point is save money wherever he can. So he brings in a crappy set of monitors and a crappy sound system. And the whole reason for that was the promoter was allowed to charge too much money for a ticket. And then that lack of business, marketing, and uh, policing of the parameters of the show led to a shitty sound system a bad monitor system, which ruined the vibe on stage and allowed people in a venue. It wasn't insistent. People could have a conversation 10 rows back. It was like, hello, there's a band on stage, remember us. And I just thought a little bit of business and attention to detail could really enhance the situation. You know, So um, that's when I started to really dig into that stuff. And, you know, um, I'm sure there there are many people who are only in the music business for a few years. You know, they're in a band, they put out one or two albums, it goes well for a bit, then it goes badly, and then they're out doing something else. I've been lucky enough to be doing this, I mean, kind of professionally since I was 16, and I'm 61. So, you know, I mean... I think it took longer than it should have for some of these lessons to fight their way through the drugs and the alcohol to go, oh, shit, you know? So, yeah.
0: Awesome. When I was a teenager, uh, the Commercial Zone album, you know, the Keith Levine's recordings, was like the holy grail for me. And I can still remember the feeling of excitement of finding the vinyl copy of it, at Brass City Records in Waterbury, Connecticut. I know you're a huge archivist, but does that extend beyond collecting your own stuff? Have there been any holy grails that you've uh, been after?
1: Oh, I've got four drawers of board tapes, alternative mixes. So if you're a pill fan, uh, I've got both nights in Paris. Uh, It was released as Paris au Pronto. That was my first show. And I have both, both nights, I have the board tapes it was actually my suggestion that we release it as a live album. Um, I've got both nights in Tokyo was we we released one night Um, and I have, so it's, uh, it's interesting that you call it Keith Levine's album. It's only Keith Levine's album in the sense that he stole the tapes. Yeah, that's what I meant. (laughs) Okay. So um, I have, uh, I talk about this in one of my presentations Uh, while we were in New York there were 17 rolls of two inch tape. So this is me applying. I have my master's degree now, big deal, but it changes the way I look at things. So instead of just going, we recorded a bunch of material. It was crazy. Well, how much material did we record? Like, okay. So I go and look at my cassette archive. There's 17 rolls of two inch tape. How much music fits on a roll? 32 minutes. Like, oh my god so now i have a spreadsheet with all of the songs all of the versions and um, uh, there are some songs on commercial zone that keith isn't even on that he didn't know existed until he took the tapes oh i mean do you want me to tell you the story of 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 why he was fired from the band sure Uh, I I don't think it's any secret that Keith had a drug problem like a really serious drug problem a really serious problem with serious drugs Right? I think we were all using speed and drinking a lot but he was levels above and um, there were times uh, you know John is a magical charismatic individual and he his charisma protected PIL, right? I mean, there could be 10,000 people in a room and John could stare everybody down, right? More effectively than security punching people, you know? Um, and we were protected by that. It also allowed for Keith to be not always there at shows. You know, he'd take a two-song break and we just do a, instrumental version or John would just sing over bass and drums and people would be like wow pill it's crazy instead of hold on a minute where's the fucking guitarist I like this song Um, and so uh, but we got away with it I think less and less but we did get away with it when we booked 10 shows in Japan the wall started to close in on this version of the band Um, and there are very strict drug laws in Japan Uh, you can't have a Vicks inhaler they're illegal because they're a stimulant so never mind heroin right Um, and then um, Paul McCartney and his band Wings uh, he he got off a plane with like a kilo of weed Um, he was in jail for 11 days I mean the world went mad He was in jail for 11 days. He was fined a million dollars and then let go. But what happened was every Japanese promoter then retroactively inserted something called the Paul McCartney clause into their contracts, which meant that if you or anybody traveling with you was caught with any drugs, the tour was canceled and everything was forfeit. But... We still owed the promoters what they estimated to have made on the show. Like, oh my goodness. So suddenly we've got ten shows with 3,000 people, they're all sold out. And suddenly it isn't like getting away with something, forcing the issue and staring people down. It's like, hold on a minute, man. I don't know that we could do this. But we'd already had money we'd had these agreements and there was just no way we could take keith and in the meeting we had to try and discuss what we were going to do uh things got very heated um and in the same way sometimes with kill and joke i i'd stand up and i feel like i just stood up but then looking around me i'd realize i'd throw my drums all over the stage in the same way that I would do that, I think John stood up uh, and instantly a metal chair was all the way across the room embedded sideways in a wall at the loft in New York. And, and that was it, you know, that was the end. Uh, We had to put a new band together to go to uh, Japan to fulfill the, the contractual commitments we had. Oh, and then while we were doing that, Keith took the tapes and, as I said, there's a song called Miller High Life. Oh, yeah. On that, um, that's Bob Miller, our engineer, producer at the time, our collaborator, in the same way that Nick Lorne collaborated on the Flowers of Romance. Um, and we we were feeding the drum kit through a synthesizer. I'm like, we were just like, fuck, you know, crazy experiments, just like the Flowers of Romance. And um, yeah, Keith didn't even know that song existed until until he took the tapes. I had no idea. Wow. Yeah, man. So these talks have been
0: super interesting. And like, I've been really impressed by your, your spirit of uh, and saying, you know, if you give to the scene, it'll give back to you. And like when I first found you on Twitter, you were giving away PDFs. So you were welcome to the music business book. And lately you've been doing tons of free talks. Um, don't you care to talk about that?
1: Yeah, I'm doing, um, so I, I think I was really lucky that, uh, so I work with students And we created a a music business conference called Midwest Music Expo. And March, it's like, well, we can't do it in May. We've got to cancel it. We can't bring all these people together, bring the community together. Such a great event for the school in uh, Millican University down in Decatur and the Decatur, Illinois community. Um, So we canceled it and we started to do like this weekly edition, which is pretty cool. Mm. And then... Once we started getting used to zoom and we're like, you know what? We could do an all day event like this. So we did May the 9th and we tripled registrations over the year before. And instead of having people from a 150 mile radius of Decatur, Illinois, Nashville, Indianapolis, Chicago, St. Louis, we had people from 23 countries. So for me, that was a gift. It was this blessing of like, I saw very clearly, it's shit. And my band Pig Face had 42 dates cancel. But there are other things that you can do right now. So uh, we started to do MMX every week. And I started to do free touring classes. Um, we announced that like three weeks ago. The first waitlist, 107 people filled up very quickly. Second waitlist, 85. The third list was at like 42 people this morning. And there are people from all over the world New Zealand, Australia, uh, El Salvador, South Africa, Chile, uh, uh, Brazil, Germany, UK, uh, Canada. And it's like, holy shit. And um, so now I do one on a Monday night. But because there are so many time zones involved, I do on a Saturday morning at like 10 o'clock, you know. um, uh, We're working on a Latin American version with translation. Um, And it's just to sit and connect with people from all over the world and have some guy from New Zealand asking me questions. Fuck knows what time. It's a different day over there, (laughs) you know. And so you've got somebody in... Vegas and and Boston and Canada, who were in their rooms just thinking everything's fucked, suddenly connecting with people. And you know, I've been teaching touring for seventeen years. I've been doing it all my life. I think my classes are great, but the hangouts afterwards are really special. And now they're we're working on a Facebook group for everybody so they can connect outside of class. And um, uh, I've I've really found that. When you can get over the shit that's raining down on your own head, and help people with the shit that's raining down on theirs, it makes the shit raining down on yours kind of less impactful, and in some cases makes it disappear entirely.
0: Yeah, that's great, man. <laughs> I've been
1: enjoying. That's, flash that's my kind of, you know, extreme punk edition. You know, like yeah, I gave away Welcome to the Music Business. You're fucked. Like if I am punk then wouldn't I want everybody just to have it you know Um, and similarly if I am worried about people in a pandemic not seeing hope how could I charge for my class I mean I could charge for my class obviously I could charge for my class but but I don't want to and so then oh then the business thing is like oh the class is free but the book's 30, the other book's 30, the t-shirt's 20, the fold-out chart with your map to success. Right? It's like, no, all that, well, there isn't a shirt, but, but um, the book is free as well. It's like, I'm not trying to do anything except build connections and help people.
0: That's great. Yeah, at the end of the talk the other night, I was, uh, you were talking about just do things, which to me is, is the punk rock spirit. You know, people think punk rock's rebellious and all that, but it's not, it's more just, just doing it without waiting for permission or the time to be right, making things happen.
1: Right, but it, it, is, uh, it is rebellious. Sometimes you're just rebelling against all of the things that are weighing down on you. Yeah. Here's the thing, I did this. So I went up to um, uh, the guys at Dark Matter who make my coffee, get the fuck out of bed the day that everything got shut down, they've got 107 employees in seven stores and the wave of fear, panic, they were paralyzed. And I felt, I mean, I'm an empathetic person. All of that that energy was like, oh, fuck. I made a donation to their employee fund, which is a lot for me, but meaningless spread across 107 people. Mm. And I came back here to the label and I reworked my get the fuck out of bed logo and I came up with this stay the fuck inside Excellent. and we did a per poster as well and uh, I made a hundred bags and I'm just screen printing water-based ink on a brown paper bag cost me forty dollars for two hundred of these and then I signed them because like Whoa. and I took those bags up to dark matter they paired this bag with the other bag sold the pair for fifty dollars did a hundred in a day we ended up getting 300 overall it raised $15,000 for them in a week That's uh, awesome. and all I did was print some fucking bags but at the same time I'm helping which relaxes me but I'm also not that it's great physical labor to print <laughs> 300 bags but it's you know it's putting okay. them on the clothesline letting them dry and, you know is activity so I slept better and I create this story and now is the time to help people. Mm. Not three months from now when, when everything gets back to normal, because I don't think it ever will. Mm. Uh, it won't go back to how it was. Yeah. Um, there'll be a new normal. And um, so to me, this is punk as fuck, you know, and we've gone on to print t-shirts, posters. Now we, there's a button, stay the fucking side button. And we put that in free with all these orders and we've started to uh, customize the shirt. So um, in, in Boston, Massachusetts, the Once Club, now their shirt says, Once Somerville says, stay the fuck inside. Or the Starlight Bar, Tulsa, Oklahoma says, stay the Fucking Side." So we send them bags, buttons, and shirts, and then they put drinks tickets inside of the bags. They'll sell the bag with the shirt and the button and the drinks tickets for $50. So my gift of 20 shirts and some bags gets them $1,000. Like, it's fucking... If that isn't punk, I don't know what is.
0: Yeah. Awesome.
1: Well, that's all my questions,
0: man. Thanks so much for coming on the show. You got anything you want to add or plug or anything, anything coming up?
1: I'd like to send you a link to the free classes. Do you have that link?
0: No. So, okay. yeah, send okay. it to I'll,
1: me, please. I'll ask Molly to send you... A free link to the the classes so people can sign up and and do that. Honestly, we've done so much touring in so many different ways that the ideas are really good and they apply to other businesses too. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll send you that link. And uh, anybody wants to follow me on Twitter, I'm Martin, M-A-R-T-E-E-E-E, four E's, just like the old days, and an N. Excellent. Well, thank you, Martin. Thanks. Thanks for taking the time. It was nice to talk to you. All
0: right. That was awesome. Man, I can't recommend these Zoom talks. He's doing enough. Super cool that he shared some of the stories here, too. I've read Band Smart and Tour Smart. They're very informative. Lots of great insight about making things happen. Even for comedians and storytellers, too. In Southpaw news, I've got a new story up on the Young Southpaw part of an hour podcast. You can find that and a whole bunch of other stuff over at youngsouthpaw.com. The new one's called Schrodinger's Halen. Because like, Sammy Hagar said, there's only one way to rock. But he was both in and not in Van Halen. And Van Halen, by definition rocks i also pick up the story from a few episodes ago about you know love will tear us apart you know how like bears will tear us apart would have made a whole lot more sense and then it kind of gets wild from there like i mean we all know that joy division became new order but what if they also became docking at the same time the new southpaw album the lost archimedes is out it's five bucks over on the Young Southpaw Bandcamp page. That's even more wild, man. Talking about interdimensional reptilian pancakes. you know, Action figures of Jean-Paul Sartre and Kiss Makeup. David Lee Roth being psychic. All, all this in the pursuit of love, you know? If you're digging these, please subscribe and rate and review the podcast. That'd be much appreciated. I'm going to throw the video of this interview up on YouTube, too, so check that out. And there's a bunch of Southpaw stories and shows on there as well. And now I'm going to leave you with a tune I dig from that second Damage Manual album, Limited Edition, song called Driven Menace.
2: Driven life form will never bleed Most of us manipulate the truth into a loop Repetition, then ignition, then shoot Madness driven menace as the temper comes to tan In the shadows when you never know when. I'm just a kid